Oh, we'll find out. Okay. For us, this is a very special time to be here. Because in many regards, this is where our full-time Christian ministry started, is in this church. We met in uh, Phoenix, Arizona at a Bible school there. And we fell in love. You're supposed to go, ah. Uh, okay. And we, God moved in our hearts. She has wanted to be a missionary since age 11. Laura has wanted to be a missionary since age 11. I didn't become a Christian until I was almost 18. Totally different backgrounds. Okay, I grew up in a broken home, instability. We moved, I think, 18 to 20 times before I graduated from high school. And when I was in high school, I got put in a foster home because she prayed for a future spouse that the per- this, this guy would become a Christian and that he would be growing. And then, I had no choice in this, by the way, guys, okay? okay. <laughs> he would also become a missionary. I had no idea what missions was, what being a pastor was, nothing, okay? I was a total zero as far as that related, but... I accepted Christ a month before I turned 18. We met at Southwestern College, came up here to Portland to Western Seminary, the seminary. Get that right there. <laughs> okay. And that's where God kept laying on our hearts Bible translation and church planting. And we, st- this is our home church in Portland. And while we were here, the church, well, hopefully it wasn't, we never made this connection. Hopefully it wasn't because of us, but it started decreasing in numbers. And we were, we were forced, it, felt, it came down to about 35 people, and we took a vote. Do we stay open, or do we see the land to the association at that point, or do we close? Whatever. There was 19 of us who said, no, we are going to stay open, and God bless that decision. And that church started growing again. And I had the joy of serving as assistant pastor, or associate pastor, in this church, and that's where we started serving full-time in the gospel. So for us, this is coming home. Now, you folks are new. I realize this, and the, all the auditorium is different. And yes, you have air conditioning. Thank you very much for that. We didn't have that back then. <laughs> okay. So this is coming home. But one thing I just wanted to let you know about this church, what has always been in the DNA of this church is prayer. How the church grew again is through prayer, folks. You need to consecrate yourself to prayer, corporately, individually, and you pray for this church and the outreach of this church, God will bless it. The other thing that has always been part of this church is missions. You don't realize this, but this church has sent out a lot of missionaries. One, of the, one guy, he and his wife are still serving here, Carl Reed. He grew up in this church. He's been serving with our Mission World Venture for over 40 years now. Another couple... Uh, Leon and Cheryl Hill, they were both members of this church, and this church sent them out. The church has sent us out. I was ordained in this church. This church has had a huge role in missions. Joseph Ramona Steckman, the Dodds, the Smiths, and the names go on and on and on. Missions has always been an integral part of this church, and I challenge you to make it so again. I don't know where you're at in that realm or where you're in prayer. If you want this church to grow, you pray. You get on your knees and you pray and lift it up before God because he wants this church to grow. You have to understand, you are the light of Christ in this little community. 
People see you. People are looking at you. And when they have questions about themselves, about God, about spiritual matters, what about my life? You're here. And you can be the light of Christ to these people. And for decades now, this church has been here and been that light. It's shrunk at times, but it has always come back. And I hope that you have this vision of seeing people reach for Jesus Christ and growing in him. But missions, what is missions all about? Well, we're going to look at that. And it starts in Romans, actually, this, believe it or not, Romans 8.28. So go ahead and bring it up. Romans 8.28, it's a great, beautiful passage for believers. Okay? If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is a beautiful passage. Says, and we know that for those who love God, who are those who love God, who have heard his voice and responded to him in obedience and say, yes, I believe what you did in Jesus Christ, and dying on that cross, he's rising again. Yes, I believe that is true. And you respond in a heart of love and obedience. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Two things. Good. You just lost your job. Oh, that's good. <laughs> wow. You have cancer. Oh, that's good. What you just went through in America, we, we, we missed it. COVID, pandemic, all the stuff that you folks went through, the lockdowns, the masks, social distancing, vaccines, all that stuff, we missed it, folks. And I'm glad. I'm sorry. I, I looked at what we watched, what you were going through, and going, I am so glad I'm not in the States. We were in West Africa. It didn't happen. It should have, but it didn't happen. COVID didn't happen. There were some, maybe 1,000, 1,500 cases in our country, and a couple hundred people died from it. It just didn't happen. But you, I, just to hear what you went through, the stress and the strain, yes, that was good. Getting cancer, that is good. You're going, huh? Because he says, all things work together for good. The question is, who defines that good? Is it you who defines that good, or is it the perfect being that is perfectly good. We define good not by our standards, but the why by the person who is perfectly good, who is infinitely good. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. What's his purpose? You go to the next verse. He says what? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So that good is defined by this verse. That for is because. All things work together for good. Why? Because if you're a child of God, if you've been bought by his blood, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are, the goal of your life is to be what? Conformed to the image of Jesus Christ or become like Jesus. So this is God's non-negotiable for every believer. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is his goal for you. So everything that comes into your life, the pandemic, everything that you experience that, whatever you're experiencing, if you're a child of God, he is bringing this into your life for one goal, to become like Jesus. So you get cancer, whatever. Through that, you are going to become like Christ. You're going to learn Christ in a new way. 
You're going to experience Christ. You're going to experience God's grace, his mercy, his kindness, all that. And he, God is bringing all this into your life so that you become like Christ. That is the good. Is there a greater good for a Christian? <laughs> to become like Christ. To bear his image before other people so that when they see you, they see who? Jesus Christ. No greater good can there be for a believer than to become like Jesus. Well, that poses a question. What was Christ like? Most people say he was loving, he was kind, a good teacher. In my part of the world, West Africa, he was a prophet. But is that it? So if I say I'm becoming like Christ, that means I need to know who Jesus is, what he believed, what was important to him, and I make that important. How he interacted with people, how he taught people, how he touched people's lives. I need to do the same thing. I need to treat people the same way Jesus treated them. I need to see people the same way Jesus saw them. I need to speak into their lives the same way Jesus spoke into the lives of people. He brought healing. He brought restoration into their life. He restored for the Jews at that time. They had a really skewed concept of the kingdom of God and the Messiah. And he came to show them what it meant to be a Jew, what it meant to be a part of the kingdom of God. And then they didn't understand him. So what do you do? You crucify him. <laughs> right? Seriously. He paid the ultimate price. But he came to restore people. But part of it also is what is Jesus' focus? If I am to be like Christ, I have to be like him in all things, and I also have to, see, I have to have the same focus as Jesus. So what was he focused on? Well, he, t he tells us very clearly. Matthew 28. Okay, I, I don't know, Eric, if you picked those songs out, that one about Romans 8, 28. I, thought, I don't know if you picked that out for that. It was, it was a God thing. That was beautiful. But what is this? So that Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, he said, make disciples. Actually, if you look at the, go back to the original, the original text, it says, make, make all nations disciples. Make every nation a disciple. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, what does it say? And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel through the whole creation. All the world, all creation. Luke 24, 47 it says in that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And then in John, we're going to do John 20, 21 first. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. But then we need to go back to John 17, 18, where he says, and as you sent, he's praying to the Father. This is his high priestly prayer for us. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And then Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of, all of the earth, here, there, and everywhere. Did you get the repetition? Matthew, make disciples of all the nations. Mark, go into all the world. Luke, all nations. John, 
the whole world. And then in Mark, Acts 1.8, he lays it out. So what is Christ focused on? He's focused on what? Reaching the whole world with the whole gospel. Okay, now, you seeing how this is playing out? God's non-negotiable for us. For if I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, his non-negotiable is that I become like Jesus Christ. That's what he's expecting of me. Okay? Jesus, his non-negotiable is what? We call it missions. He's focused on the world. I'm supposed to become like Christ. If Christ is focused on the world, where should my focus be? <laughs> you figure, connect the dots. Focused on the world. Uh, folks, do you see an opt-out clause in that? Do you see, well, if it's convenient, or, you know, if it fits my schedule. Now, the term covenant, you've heard the word covenant, I assume, right? We have the old covenant, we have the new covenant, right? A covenant is what? When you look at scripture, it's a sacred promise that one party gives to another. A marriage is a covenant. Two people unite themselves, and they say to one another, I will relate to you in a way that I will not relate to the rest of the world. It's a sacred promise to fidelity, loving, all that stuff, you and you alone. So when you think about it, as you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're following him, you have entered into the new covenant, correct? The forgiveness of sins. Isn't that great? Jesus died on the cross that he would pay my debt before the Father so that I could have my sins forgiven, washed away. Wow. That's the new covenant. That Jesus shed his blood for my sins. He took the place on that cross where I should have been, where you should have been. You should have hung on that cross. I should have hung on that cross. But Jesus took our place. And he died for us. And as you entered into that, by accepting that, you entered into what? A covenant. So de facto, what you've said to God, you've promised him. When you entered, accepted what God gave to us in Christ, you entered into that covenant. And you're saying, I obligate myself to your agenda, to your will, to your kingdom, to your cause. <laughs> that what you have lined out, that's what I want. In the Old Testament, you see displayed in Ruth, right? As she comes back, Naomi says, yeah, just stay behind. And she says, what? No. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. When you enter into the new covenant and accept Jesus Christ's offer of salvation, you enter into that covenant. You've promised. You promised to God that Jesus Christ, his goals, his focus will be my focus. And why is this so important? Nehemiah 8.10 gives us this. And this is why missions is so crucial for this. This is when they're rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem towards the end. He says, go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this is day is holy to our God. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And there's a 
beautiful principle there. The joy of the Lord is your strength. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, our strength, our source of strength is found in God. He is our strength, and it's beautiful, and it's unlimited, folks. It never runs out. You can never ask God too much. God, I need your strength. And he said, oh, man, you just asked that yesterday. No, he doesn't say that. He says, yeah, come. There's more than enough. You like smorgasbords? It's 10 smorgasbords. You cannot exhaust the strength of God. The way you experience it is through obedience. If you want to experience God's joy in life, you be obedient. And this is for me, when I think of Jesus Christ and what drew people to him, outside of his awesome power and whatnot, is the joy that he had in his life. Did he not obey perfectly the Father in all things? He walked in perfect obedience to the Father in all things. Can you imagine the joy that was in his life? I think he had a great smile. He must have been really fun to be around. The joy just bubbled out of him. He just loved life because he was walking in obedience. So going back to missions, if God's non-negotiable for us is to be like Christ, and his non-negotiable, his focus is the whole world, that means what? I promise I need to be involved in his mission. That doesn't mean you're going to be overseas. It means your mission here. You have to be involved in the kingdom of Christ. It's not optional. It comes down to a matter of obedience or disobedience. That's really what it comes down to. How that looks for you, your participation in the kingdom of Christ, I don't know. But the thing is, you need to come to Christ. If you haven't started getting involved in his kingdom, you need to give your life over to him and say, you're my king. You're the king of kings and lord of lords. I'm here for you. Take my life and use me. And then, as he opens doors for you, the ministry that you have will, will be there. God has called you to a ministry. Who knows what it will look like? Start going through those doors. God will enrich your life. You want a deep prayer life? Get involved in missions. Get involved in the mission of Jesus Christ. It will look differently for each person. There is no cookie-cutter Christians in this world. We all come from different backgrounds, different experiences, but he will use you in a way that only you could be used to expand his kingdom. And just think, when, you, when we stand before Christ, when it's all said and done, won't it be glorious to hear this one phrase, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's all that matters, right? Faithfulness. Joining in God's kingdom. So what does that look like for us, though? And what we'd like to do is show you, uh, it's called the day in the life. Okay? What does missions look like for us who get to wear great, cool outfits? Come to our part of the world, and you get a great outfit too, huh? But seriously, what we'd like to do is show you a day in the life and what missions looks like in our context. Okay, so go ahead and play the video, and I'll sit down. Okay, it starts off in the morning, and the first thing for us is we need to start it with God. We need to hear his voice. Is, is there a way to turn off the front lights? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we spend time with God, listening to him in his word, but then, because life is going to hit you really, really fast. Uh, one of the things is that water comes into the courtyard three times a week, or twice a week, right, every third day. And so I have to make sure the system is clean before it goes into the holding tank 
And so that's where it's in. And so I take the hose in there and put it in. But we also have solar power. This is where we live. This is our little house. And those are our batteries. Uh, great little batteries, but... <laughs> I make everything from scratch. Yogurt, granola, all the cookies I make, tortillas if I want them. But because we have solar power, we have a refrigerator, we have cold water. And in a country that's hot, hotter and hottest, oh, yeah. cold water is a valuable point. Um, the Maytag runs on the generator and a solar dryer. As far as the ministry, we do it in two different languages. That's my little office. That's like four or five steps from the house. And that's Pastor Mamadou. And you always start off with prayer because it's God's word and we want to have his mind. And uh, I, this is actually past tense because I have the joy of letting you know that the translation is complete of the New Testament. Yes! After 18 years in where we were at, working with Pastor Mamadou, 18 years of faithfulness on his part, the New Testament is finished. Now we're in the process of getting it printed up, of doing all the final things to get it printed up. That needs a lot of prayer. There's a lot of details. Part of the uh, translation uh, process is getting a check. Okay, so children hang out and watch us. I started out giving them a soccer ball, and they would play in the street right outside our gate there. Um, and then we added cold water after the soccer game, and then it turned to lemonade, and then we added Bible stories because they were already hanging around anyway, and then Bible verses. And so I don't let them come in before 9 o'clock in the morning. They would be at 5 o'clock if I let them, and I don't. So I let the kids come in at 9. I send them about out, back out again somewhere between 12 and 12.30, let them back in again, 3 or 3.30. Send them home again, somewhere between 6 and 6.30. Um, but while the kids are in the yard, they just hang out. Now, a lot of people ask, well, don't they go to school? Well, um, these <laughs> kids go to school on the days when there's actually a teacher at the school teaching. But otherwise, they hang out at our house. So we used to do everything on our porch. And when the kids come in, they have to greet me. That's every, a social requirement. Every single one of them. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> and yeah, it was really cold that day. I think it was 85 or something. And so, oh, see the yeah. jacket? <laughs> we, that was a cold, cool day. So the kids all come in. They used to just hang out and play on the porch. And they all get a drink of water. Everybody has their own cup. And they know which cup is theirs. You know, it's red number three or yellow B or whatever. And uh, they get really bent out of shape if someone else uses their cup. Um, they love puzzles. I do a lot of puzzles with them because... It helps them learn to distinguish things that then helps with reading skills. So they love puzzles. There are some kids who can do 300-piece puzzles now. So um, The big kids are usually babysitting little kids. Okay, the first one really was a baby. That one's a baby doll. Um, we have dolls that one of our churches in Arizona made for them that the kids really like. But we have a lot of other toys, just simple toys, because we have more toys at our house than anywhere else in town. So yeah. it is definitely a drawing point. The kids just come hang out. And their parents all know where to find them. Hot Wheels cars are strong. I noticed that Judah likes cars. Judah would like to come to my house and play. And magnets. Oh, that boy right there in the front building the magnets. Um, that's Gaidema. I'll tell you about him later. But we have a lot of hands-on things for kids who do, don't do so well with the memory stuff and scholarly things. They can still have success with hands-on things. Um, they fight just as much as your kids do, or more. Um, but really, soccer is the big thing in um, our country. 
um, this particular girl has learned how to read, and so she comes in and gets to borrow a Bible and works on her verses by herself because she knows how to read now. I used to hang the verses all over the porch like that so that everybody could find their verses and study. Those are hand-copied, by the way, folks. <laughs> and then laminated. But I, I do a lot of the teaching, and you just go over the verse a hundred times till a kid gets it. Um, Adama learned how to read, but a lot of them, even in school, are not learning basics like counting. And whenever they learn something, they're supposed to teach someone else. So the kids who have learned a verse will teach someone else that same verse. They have to recite it correctly. And when they get their verses recited, and it's usually two to five verses together, then they get a cookie. So I make a lot of cookies. Um, but then we give other prizes. Once they get to 100, or sometimes I made it at 120, depending on the cost of the prize. Um, I keep track of them on charts. But when they get to 100, then they get a special prize. And sometimes it's a soccer ball. It's always a piece of cake. Piece of chocolate cake. Big piece of cake. Yeah. Man and size. Sometimes it's art supplies and comic books that are in French. Let's eat the piece of cake. That's a priority. Um, once in a while, I let kids help make cookies, but as you mothers know, it takes twice as long. Um, but it's a was, new experience for them. Yeah, this was Christmas. Or no, it was Ramadan. That's right. I let the kids help make cookies. We gave them out for uh, the end of Ramadan when we have like 300 to 500 kids come by and get a snack and a Bible story. So that's the Lord, morning for Laura. In the, mor in the mornings, I do the, would do the Bible translation. In the afternoons, I'd prepare for the next sessions, take care of missions business or whatever, such like that. So. And I get my Bible story ready for the afternoon. Sometimes I sew. Um, I tend to be scatterbrained, so I'll sew for 15 minutes and then go work on something else, make cookies, and then go sew for 15 minutes. Then the, I let the kids back in in the afternoon. Um, the last two years, we moved everything outside to the Ramada, so they're not on the porch. They're out here in this space now. That's right outside my office. So we put a cement slab there on that space. Um, but the kids love to play. Oh, see the drummies playing? You kids can go out and try our drum outside there. But when a kid learns how to read, they're really proud of it. Oh, and by the way, you guys don't know anything about rain. But um, when it rains, it really, really, really rains. Um, we sometimes will get three inches in an hour or two. So in six months' time, we get 50 inches, and then the other six months, we get nothing. So I, overall, I've trained um, four different people to teach lessons. Unfortunately for me, or God's plan, whatever, um, all these four I've trained have moved on to do other things. And so I have to do most of the teaching right now because that girl's in high school now, so she can't get over to our house in time after school. So, but we use a lot of visuals and a lot of hands-on stuff. We use um, Play-Doh, we use the magnets that you already saw. Oh yeah, we had a cement slab out in the backyard and we do the map for Paul's journeys. And they love acting out. Their favorite of all time, favorite method ever, is acting out stories. So I told all the kids to speak the language they speak with their mom. And that covered the Tower of Babel pretty well. Because, <laughs> In our region, um, I should tell you that Tom and I work in two different languages. Um, he does Champure and French, and I do French and Bambara. And Bambara is the trade language. It's everybody, it's a lot of people's first language, but it's everybody's second language. And so these kids are coming from all over the country because we have a gold mine near us. And so the kids' parents are coming to work in the mine. And so the kids are from all kinds of different languages. 
And to my heart, I'm figuring these kids someday are going to go back to their village. There's going to be weddings, funerals, whatever. They're going to go back to their village, and they're going to have some of God's word in their head. The goal has always been getting to get God's word into the people's lives. Because Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is what? Living and active. And it's the word of God that changes people's lives. You left off the last part. It's living and active and that thing out there on the table that the kids like. How many of you guys <laughs> saw the sword? You see the sword on the back table? Yeah. That's a two-edged sword. Missions. That's what it looks like for us. This is what God has called us to. He gives us the strength to live there and to minister. And one thing about missionaries, they have what? Prayer cards, right? There's a display out there. Please go by and look at it. If you'd like to get the prayer updates about the ministry, we would love to have you join in. I, I have this joke. How many people can fit in the taxi in our part of the world? Always one more. How many prayer supporters can we use? Always one more. How many people can fit in heaven? Always one more. But please stop and, and take a look. And take one of these home, please, and pray for us. Uh, I tell people this, it's, it's the support from people, individuals, and churches that keep us on the field. It's your prayers for your missionaries that make them effective. We depend mightily on your prayers. We, it's called partnering. We need prayer partners. We always need prayer partners. But a missionary has a prayer card. And us, you see, hey, look, we actually match our picture. Pretty cool. This is the cloth we got for one of my boys when he got old and got married. Um, this is the family cloth. All of his family members um, got this cloth, and so we were, you know, part of the family. Yep. But on it, you usually have your name, the mission you're with. But on the back, if you look at it, we have the ministry that we have. It's called uh, Serving in Bible Translation, Children's Ministry, and Church Development in West Africa. But what I like to do is imagine, okay, you missions. I think it's pretty clear. It's non-negotiable. You signed up for this, folks. When you accepted Christ, you signed up to be part of Christ's kingdom. So what I'd like you to do is imagine if this was your prayer card, your face would be on it, right? Where you serve would be on it. And then I'd like you to start praying about this seriously. What ministry would be back on your prayer card? Pray about it. God has a plan for you. He wants to bless you. He wants to bless you in your context to your ministry. It may be something as simple as baking pies for people. It may be sitting and listening to people. Look what Laura did with her ministry. What does she use? Games, toys, made cookies. Lots and lots of cookies. Whatever. I'm a firm believer in the KISS method. Keep it simple. I'm not nice. Stupid. Pray about it. Seek God from this moment on. Say, God, I want to serve you. I want to be part of your kingdom. Because that's where your wholeness will be. Because when you look at Christ, he became human. Philippians 2. And he what? He emptied himself, taking on the form of what? A servant. True humanity. If you want to realize, actualize your humanity, you serve. God called us overseas. Where is he calling you? To whom is he calling you? What ministry has he given you? 
pray about it. Do I hand it off to somebody? Okay, but seriously, please pray about it. It doesn't matter your age, how old or young you are. Laura was 11 years old. Hey, kiddos, listen up. Hey, I don't think listen. there's anybody 11 here. No, but there's some kids here. Listen up. We need people to come and take our place. You notice this is getting kind of gray? Not getting, it's there, I realize that. We don't dye it because it can get more respectful. Okay, for you, all the kiddos, seriously, <laughs> Judah, you need Judah, whoa, you, Judah, yeah, hi. You need to start, say, God, do you want me to be a missionary? Start praying about that. Okay. Eric? Eric? 